0: Hi, everyone. This is Pastor Tom. Typically, we would simply be rebroadcasting this previous Sunday sermon to you. But even in today's technical age, sometimes things go wrong. And so I have the privilege of re-recording the teaching directly for the podcast audience. And I'm grateful for the opportunity to speak to you directly today. Um, We're grateful for all of you that tune in. We have listeners from around the United States and from a couple of key countries around the world. It's amazing how in today's technical age people can find you on the Internet and you have the privilege of speaking into their spiritual journey. And I don't take that privilege lightly. I'm grateful for all of you that tune in. And as I have the opportunity to speak to you directly, I actually want to mention several ways that you could be helpful to us with the podcast and with the ministry of the journey. The first would be just to let us hear from you. I'd love to get an email where you're from, any way the podcast is uh, serving your spiritual journey with Christ, and perhaps some ways that we could be better at it. How can we make the podcast uh, more helpful to your spiritual journey? My email is Pastor Tom at the dot org. That's Pastor Tom at the Journey MA, as in Massachusetts, dot org. I'd love to hear from you. I'll personally listen and respond to every note that comes. Thank you. The second way you could help, if you are an iTunes listener to the podcast, you're aware of how the iTunes format works. Uh, Three things that you could do to help us uh, in that. One would be to subscribe rather than just simply download individual sermons. Uh, Subscribing increases uh, our presence on iTunes. Second thing you could do is to do a customer rating on the podcast homepage, You go to the main page, which is The Journey with Pastor Tom Sparling, and there you can rate the podcast uh, one star through five stars. The higher the rating and the more of the ratings, the larger our exposure on iTunes. And then on that same page, you could do a customer review. You could spend some time uh, just making a few brief comments, which would help us a lot. And then third, uh, you could help the podcast by supporting us financially. We don't do a lot of fundraising, and I promise to be brief about this. But there are, of course, expenses related to uh, podcast and ministry. And if God's been touching you through this, your financial support would be really helpful. The Journey Community Church is a church plant in one of the least churched cities in all of New England. And you may not be aware of this, but Gallup recently listed all six New England states as uh, being among the top ten with the largest unchurched population in the whole nation. So we believe we've uh, been led to plant a church right at the heart of a mission field, really. This is a region that God used years ago to give birth to the Great Awakening. We believe he can do it again. Uh, planning a church is a challenge in all places, your ongoing support in this early critical stage of the church plant would be really helpful, not only for the continuation of the podcast, but to touch lives and to win people for Christ in this strategic region. You can go to our webpage, thejourneyma.org, thejourneyma.org, and you'll find a link to a secure giving site And then if you select for a fund that you're giving to, the podcast fund, we'll know that you're giving as part of the podcast audience. Thank you very, very much for any way that you can support us and encourage us by your giving. All right, that's done. I guess in every church service, you have announcements, right? Well, we've just done that for the first time (laughs) in our podcast. Before we go into the study, let's just take a minute and pray together. Father, we're so grateful for your word. What a privilege it is to open it up. And we know that every time we do, it's living and active. And if we're receptive, you're going to speak into our lives. We're going to be different. And we're counting on that today. So teach us, Father. Be our teacher. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're at a critical stage in our study through the entire Old Testament narrative, Canaan land, promised land. We're actually going to get there over the next couple of weeks. When most people think of promised land or Canaan, we think of heaven, right? Due in no small way to Negro spirituals. The slaves years ago saw heaven as the place where they would finally and truly be free. A lot of wonderful songs come out of that tradition. And of course, we um, appreciate that so much. We do have a land waiting for us. We are citizens of a, of a different kingdom, And someday we're going to be there. But when the Bible talks about the promised land, it's not talking about heaven. And of course, what we want to do is to find out what the Bible means by it. And it would help us as we start off to recognize that for Israel, the promised land was not about an eternal state into which someday they hope to go when this life is over. It wasn't about the sweet by and by. It was very much about the here and now. The promised land was for them the ultimate destination in this life of their journey, of their relationship with God. The fullest sense of that life that God intended them to experience, all the power and presence of God. Unfortunately, this generation that we're studying today failed to get there. So let me be clear, this story is not about a generation that worked really hard and came really close but ended up going to hell instead of heaven. They were God's children. They were in relationship with him. God continued for over those 40 years in the wilderness to feed them, to direct them, to live among them. They continued a life of worship and dependency on God, but they never arrived at the ultimate end of that spiritual relationship with God. They fell short. In the same way, many of us fall short of what God really envisions in our life with him, and for very much the same reasons as this lost generation. So we're going to learn from their story. We're going to be in Numbers chapter 13, and from that, we're going to see four ways that you can miss the promised land. Now, what I want to do is catch you up to this part of the story. Uh, much of what we've learned about the journey of this generation has taken place in roughly 12 months, somewhere between 1491 and 1490 BC. So at this point, these people are not that far removed from all of the miraculous things that have happened to get them to this point in time. But let's track the story. 200 years of silence from God, slaves in Egypt. And then the ultimate act of judgment on Egypt. There were 10 plagues, but the one that really defeated them was the Passover. The blood of the lamb sprinkled on the doorposts of the homes of the Israelites, sparing them from God's judgment. For us, that's Christ, that's the blood of Christ, who was the true lamb of God, the Bible says, who takes away the sins of the world. So from that act of sacrifice came their salvation, passing through the Red Sea into a new life with God. For us, that's analogous to new birth in Christ. Jesus talked about being born of water and being born of the Spirit. I believe that baptism in the New Testament is an outgrowth, a symbolic representation of this passing through the Red Sea of the nation of Israel into a life with God. That's salvation. And then for Israel, there were the early steps in the wilderness, baby steps in their journey with God. And they were so new in their relationship with God, their knowledge of him. They were like babies who had needs, and they could do very little except just cry about it and whine about it. I'm thirsty. Wah! What does God do? Gives them something to drink. I'm hungry. Wah! God gives them something to eat. See, they were very powerless during this period. That's what God has to do for spiritual infants. He just provides for them. He works for them but as we grow, God doesn't want us to stay there. He wants to move from working on our behalf to working through us into others. He wants to move us into maturity, and that's what Sinai represented for the nation of Israel, moving from that place of helplessness and God just carrying us along to a place of responsibility through which God could use us for his purposes and for his glory. And that Sinai experience included two things. One, living for God's glory, and that's the law. It's all a life of worship, living for God's glory. And then a community that was devoted to a life of worship, and that's the tabernacle, all that great symbolism in there. So God called us to himself. He grows us and he matures us into this life of worship, living for his glory, seeking him wholeheartedly. This is just really powerful stuff. They spent a lot of months at Sinai. It took a long time to receive the law, to receive instructions for the tabernacle, to build and construct it, to bless it. All that had to be in place before they could enter the promised land. So now we come to this place where they're on the verge of the promised land. And in the beginning of Numbers chapter 13, God tells Moses to send spies into the land to explore it. Uh, Representing each of the tribes. They go, they spend many days there, and they finally return. We're picking up the story as they return to make their report. And we'll start at verse 26 of Numbers 11. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They had brought a huge portion of grapes, for instance, to show how abundant the land was. That was the good news. And now there's going to be the bad news. This is the ultimate good news, bad news story. Some of my favorite jokes are good news, bad news. I think of the story of a, uh, two friends who had spent their whole life loving golf and They were getting old and wondered if there was going to be golf in heaven. And they made a promise that whoever died first would find out, and if at all possible, find a way to get word back. And so sure enough, one of the friends dies. And sometime later, he appears to his living friend in a dream. And he says, I've got good news and bad news. Well, what's the good news? The good news is there's golf in heaven. Well, what's the bad news? Well, the bad news is you've got an 8 a.m. tea time tomorrow morning. (laughs) Sorry about that one. Okay, I'm going to try one more. Uh, There was a a doctor that met with a young man, and he said, I've got good news and bad news. And the young man said, give me the good news first. And he said, well, the good news is they're going to name a disease after you. (laughs) Okay, my congregation had to sit through those jokes, so you did too. This is a good news and bad news scenario, and based on which of those they responded to would determine whether Israel was able to go forward into the promised land or not. We've already read the good news, now let's read the bad news. Verse 28. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. So this is the bad news. Good news, bad news, and two very different responses. Let's read on. Verse 30, then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. I always encourage people to mark up their Bibles as they learn. I'd encourage you to circle two words in this verse. Just simply this, we can, and then go down to the very next verse and find two opposite words, we can't, and circle those. Let's read the response of the rest of the party that spied out the land. Verse 31. But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. How, how can a group of men that have spent so many days exploring out the same land have very opposite responses to it? Well, we're going to look at those who had the negative response because, unfortunately, that won the day. And here's what we're going to see, the four ways that you can lose the promised land. And the first one is that they chose to focus on the obstacles and not the opportunity. Let's read on. Here's what they said to the people. The land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are great size. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak, come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. They looked at the situation. Instead of just seeing the opportunity, they saw the obstacles, and it was enough for them to conclude, we can't do it. We can't take the land that God had already given them. That's the most tragic part. God had said already many times, this is the land I've given you. It was there for the taking. They saw the obstacles, and they talked themselves out of it. That's very sad. But yet people do that today, don't they? How many of you have seen people in a church who, when leadership stands up and challenges us to step into some great vision that they believe God's given us, and these people, their gift to the church is to point out all the problems with the vision, or all the things that would have to be done if we were going to accomplish it, all the potential problems that we could run into, and might present themselves as trying to be helpful, but you suspect that underneath, they can't see through all those problems they're not saying we can they're saying we can't maybe in your own life right now there's an opportunity or something you feel God laying on your heart or something the Bible says clearly all of us should be doing and you feel compelled to it but yet you're frozen because all you see are the problems you focus on the downside And maybe that's all other people are speaking. Maybe you're surrounded by those naysayers. And you're hearing the voice of those who call you to say, I can't. How can it happen? The obstacles are holding you prisoner. And that leads us to the second thing that follows from that. We begin by focusing on the obstacles and not the opportunity. But then we compare those obstacles only to human resources. What we read in those chapters was that they compared the giants in the land, the Nephilim, only to themselves. Let's talk about that that term Nephilim just a little bit. You may remember that term in our study leading up to Noah and the flood. There were Nephilim in the land then. This is not the same. That generation was destroyed. But as we learn then, that term refers to giants among men both for being large in stature, but also for their ferocity in warfare. That's who these were. It may be interesting for you to know that the average height of people in that era, in the Mesopotamia, was almost uh, a foot shorter than uh, I am. I'm six foot. I have a friend, Stephen, who's about 6'4", and trust me, to a short (laughs) Mesopotamian dweller, that's a Nephilim. These were big people, and what they did was they looked at them, and they looked at the ferocity of their warfare, and they said, we can't win. How sad that is. Listen to the words. They are stronger than we are. And then they went on and said, we look like grasshoppers to them, but not just to them. They believed it. We are like grasshoppers in our own eyes as well. If God only called you to what you can achieve yourself, where is the faith in that? There's no faith. There's really no miracles, no God moments if you only ever attempt to achieve what you believe is possible through your own resources. God doesn't call us to that kind of life. How sad that Christians and churches alike look at the obstacles and then they say, we can't do it. We, we just can't do that. That can't be what God's asking us to do because it requires more than what we have. How sad that is. Here's a great example. Some of you may not be giving to a local church or giving to the Lord, even though the Bible's pretty clear about that. Why is that the case? Let me challenge you. It's because you're trusting in your own resources rather than the God who the Bible says even gave you the ability to create wealth. Where are you leaving room for God to provide miraculously? if you're not using your money the way God intended you to use it. None of us are owners, we're just stewards. That's just one example. Ephesians 3:20 20 and 21. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. My prayer for you and for me and for our churches is that we would take on God-sized steps to step out and say, if God doesn't do it, it's not going to get done. That's, That's the place when we're stepping out into the path that God has for us. There's a third thing that the people of this lost generation did, and it's a natural progression from the first. The first is you focus on the obstacles instead of the opportunity. Second is you compare those obstacles to human resources alone, not the great God who made them possible. And then the third thing is you give up on the vision. And we see that as we pick up the story in chapter 14. That night, all the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this desert, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, We should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. They give up. On the vision. How sad. How quickly they forget what life was like back there in the old life, imprisoned to forces, in our case, imprisoned to sin. You see, once we look at the life to which God's called us, and instead of seeing it by faith with the God who has given it to us and promises to go with us into that land, And instead, we're caught up by the obstacles. And then when we look at those obstacles and we only view them by what we have in our hands, our resources, our talents, uh, our human uh, abilities, uh, we give up. We, We convince ourselves that that can't be the right path. And very often, we turn around and go back. Now, we give up on the vision in different ways. Sometimes with a church, somebody just says, well, we need a more realistic goal. We need to tap down our expectations. That's giving up on the vision. Sometimes people say, we're not ready. We need to wait. Do a little more research. Wait till we're more ready. That's giving up on the vision. Both those are trusting in our resources rather than stepping out and saying, we don't know how God's going to do this, but he's called us to it. We're going to step in. We're going to take the land, and we're trusting God to do the miraculous. And then, of course, there are those that give up on the vision, and they take a total retreat. People that have tasted grace, the book of Hebrews says, and have fallen back into their old ways. So many Christians, uh, as soon as it starts requiring real faith, stepping into the unknown, are, are never able to get there. And very often the result is they go back to old ways. They almost re-enslave themselves. We were fine. Let's go back to that. You know, that happens in churches too. Leadership says this whole thing, this whole new vision thing, this whole new step, it was a miscalculation. We were fine the way we were doing things. Let's go back. Leadership that does that in a church never moves that church to truly step out in faith and impact their region, let alone impacting the world for the glory of God. There's a lot of churches like that out there, flat and dying because they have abandoned the vision. That's strong, but I think it's true. There's a fourth thing that happens in a lost generation, a generation that fails to reach the promised land let's step through again. They first view the obstacles, not the opportunity. Then they compare those obstacles only to their own resources. And because they can't possibly make it happen, they give up on the vision. But here's the problem. There are always those around us that refuse to let go of the vision. There are the Moses and the Aaron and the Joshua and the Caleb. And we have to deal with them in some way. And Unfortunately, what happens all too often is that we villainize the visionaries. And that's what happens here. Look at verse 5 of chapter 14. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes, and said to the entire Israelite assembly, The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, and he will lead us into the land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and he will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord." And do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will swallow them up. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid. Now, that's a great speech. That's a Henry V, St. Crispin's Day speech, <laughs> right? That's a Braveheart speech before the ultimate battle. And you'd think a speech like that would win the day. But you see, once the people listening have made up their minds, speeches like that can only anger them. And that's what happens, the very next verse. But the whole assembly talked about stoning them. You see, once you've given up on the vision, and once you have convinced yourself that that's the right thing, then those that continue to press the vision, and even more, they begin to challenge your spirituality. Well, that's offensive. And you actually see them as the problem. You villainize the visionaries in order to justify your abandonment of the vision. We don't see it that way. We just see them as a problem because we're convinced that we're in the right. But we villainize those who want us to be faithful to what God's called us. To justify abandoning the vision, we characterize it as foolish, deceitful, or naive. And we see leadership as the problem. We can't believe we let them take us this far. We need to get them out of the way. Choose a new leader to take us back to the old ways. But even more than that, they don't want to just replace the leaders. Somehow they want to punish them. How often have you seen that? Sad day. The whole assembly talked about stoning Moses and Aaron and Joshua and Caleb. And all of this just steps away From the promised land. Their homeland was already theirs. They just needed to step in and take it. And what's the result? A lost generation stuck somewhere between Egypt and the promised land, the ultimate experience of God's presence and power, for 40 years Until that whole generation died. That's what God said to them. It's interesting that God does forgive them. But he says they'll never achieve the spiritual life that I planned for them. They're too broken. I'll forgive them. I'll take care of them. But in some ways, they never grew out of their spiritual infancy. Experts estimate that there may have been as many as 2 million Israelites that left, left Egypt. If you think about it, that means 140 dead people every day, 365 days a year for 40 years. That's tragic. But all that time, God still providing, God feeding, God leading, them following him, dependent on him, and worshiping him. But they never achieved the full life to which God had called them. How does that happen? How did this generation fall so short? And how do we fall so short, many of us, in the life that God's called us to? Well, here's what I think. I think that in their hearts and in their minds, these Israelites never really left Egypt. They never made the mental, emotional shift from slavery into liberty. From helplessness into empowerment. From being victims to being more than conquerors, which the Bible says we are. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. They spent their whole life needing God to keep doing things for them and never getting to the place where God could start doing things through them for his glory and for his purposes. Does this happen today? Does it happen to people individually? Of course it does. But here's an interesting question. Does it happen to whole generations who as a group develop a way of thinking that has them fall short of what God has for them? I don't really know the answer to that question, but I think it's worth our asking, which generation do we want to be? And is our spiritual life characterized by saying, we can, with God we can, or we can't? Because you see, no matter what generation we're in, there are always those faithful few, those Joshua's and Caleb's, who do enter the promised land, and that's who we want to be. Lord, may we be that generation who know that you never call us to anything for which you haven't already given us everything we need to accomplish it. Lord, let us be the generation who have learned that to compare ourselves with the obstacles is wrong. We need to compare them with God's power and his person, not our human limitations. Lord, let us be your followers who know that when you call us into something, you always go with us. We move in your power and we move in obedience to you, and you win the day. Father, help us to see what you've called us to clearly. I I don't presume to know what that is for each listener, except when your word is clear about it. But, Father, if you've truly called us, help us to see it through your power. Help us to see it as a land you've already given us, not be caught by the obstacles, but to step forward into this full life, not without problems. The promised land had its problems, not without battles to be fought. The promised land had plenty of battles, but a a life in your power and your blessing. Where we move beyond you just doing things for us, but working through us for your glory and for the good of lives around us. Father, this is what we commit ourselves to. It's what we long for. Increase our faith. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this has been a pleasure today. Thanks so much for listening. God bless you in your journey with him this week. And again, it would just be great to hear from you. God bless.